0: Hello, welcome to this episode of Talking About Rock, sponsored by our friends at School of Rock. From young child to adult, they have a program for you. Their patented systems are second to none. Check out their locations in Rochester and Buffalo, New York. Here, we're so happy to bring you rock interviews from around the globe. We're always available wherever you get your podcasts and on all the streaming services. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss an episode. Check us on our website, TalkingAboutRock.com, and follow us on our social media. Today, we have for you a music marketing master. Michael Brandvolt is a freelance music industry consultant. Having launched Michael Brandvolt Marketing to leverage his years of experience to provide direction to large and small clients in areas of online and social marketing, as well as e-commerce and customer acquisition and retention. He's a self-taught master of HTML, and he's launched websites for Paris Records, Creative Communications, Sportmart, and Montgomery Ward. But it was his Kiss fan site, launched in 1995, that was changed his fortunes forever. Gene Simmons of Kiss first tapped Michael Skills as a pioneering online marketing strategist to launch and manage all aspects of Kiss Online's multi-million-dollar enterprise, including their groundbreaking. VIP program. Michael's also managed the online efforts for Motley Crue, Rod Stewart, Ozzy Osbourne, Madonna, and Britney Spears, just to name a few. Michael's also an advisor to a couple startups and has been a speaker or panelist at many events around the country. He's also the host of the Music Biz Weekly podcast and the KISS podcast, Three Sides of the Coin. We are very happy to have him with us to give us his insights on the music industry industry today coming up next michael branville on talking about rock okay we now have with us music marketing master website wizard and podcast host of the Music Biz Weekly and Three Sides of the Coin, Michael Branbold. Michael, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. We're doing great. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, you you started way back when the internet was just kind of getting together. You developed some sites for some well-known businesses. What were your thoughts when you launched your first KISS fan site in 95? Um,
1: You know, interesting. What were my thoughts? I was more doing it for the simple reason as I wanted to learn this new programming language, HTML. I mean that, that, there was, there was no that was the primary motivation um, back in 95. And to give people context, 95 is when the internet basically first opened up to the general public. It had been around for years, but it was more of a government educational system. And um, the US government kind of said, okay, we're gonna allow it to be commercialized. And there were no books, there were no classes, there, were no, there was no software, there was nothing. Uh, you know, I think maybe there was one, one browser, Mozilla was the browser that was available at the time. Um, so I was working as a network administrator, and my job is to stay up to date on technology. and there was this new language called HTML. So, all right, what is this? Is this something I need to learn about? And I dug into it and, you know, hey, it's what you use to build websites. And I figured if I'm going to teach myself how to do this, because again, there are no courses, there's no schools, there's no classes, there's right back when it started, there there was none of that. Yeah, there was literally you, you couldn't walk into a um, a Barnes and Nobles and find a single book about the internet, let alone how to write websites didn't exist. Um, So if I'm going to teach myself how to do this, I'm going to build a kiss website because I'm a huge kiss fan. And that's what sort of motivated me to to get involved in this so early on you know i had wanted to do a kiss fanzine but i realized it's just it's gonna lose money i mean who wants to lay out something print something up envelope paper shipping the whole thing yeah, it's gonna lose money, and and it's only going to be seen by the what dozen people who subscribe. I did see that with websites, if if they if what they were saying became true, and it did, you know, everybody could come to me and read my website about kits rather than me bringing it to them and my cost was so, so small. Right, and that was what, Kiss Cool? Is that how you pronounce that? Otaku. Otaku, sorry. Yeah, um, Kiss Otaku was that, that website I first launched and it was right time, right place, which is so much what, the, especially the music business is about. I okay. launched that, I launched that in 95, well, we know in 96, KISS did the reunion tour and it's just been skyrocketing ever since. Um, Just the perfect storm for you. It was the perfect storm. You know, I was at the birth of the internet. I had one of the very first KISS websites ever built. They exploded. It exploded to the point where by 98, um, I'd been offered a job to, to work with KISS and build their website for them. Yep. So Gene, Gene Simmons himself gave you a call, reached out personally, and asked you to be like with the director of their web services. Um, he basically, I had worked a little bit with him prior to this on the Kistory two book. He had me gathering material from the internet, having fans mail stuff to me, and then I would I would gather it all, organize it, and send it to Gene. So I'd done a little work with him. Um, But yeah, he called me and basically was like, Mike, I got a business proposition to talk to you about. Um, You know, we want somebody to build a website for us. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, I'd be interested in talking about it. I didn't immediately say yes, because I had a full time job that was paying well and had benefits and everything else. So I wasn't going to go work for KISS just because how cool would it be? But he basically said, we'll call Doc McGee, their manager, and see if he can make something work out here. And that was uh, August of 98. And by October of 98, I had quit my job and moved to San Francisco and started a job where I built KISSonline.com. Built it and ran it for him.
0: Yeah, and you manage that into a multi-million dollar enterprise and over a half a million visitors a month now. And I mean, they're such a recognizable brand. I think they kind of understood their brand a little bit, but this really set them apart for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, they they were, you know, again, 98, very early days of the internet. Um, You know, to get on the internet, actually, back then, you had to dial up your local ISP, Um, For many people, they were doing it through AOL or Microsoft or, um, I don't know, you know, there's probably a lot of regional ISPs, but they were one of the very first bands, I think David Bowie and Megadeth were right around the same time, that launched their own branded ISP. So that's what KISS Online started out as, as an ISP. You join KISS Online you call our phone numbers, we get you connected to the internet, and it gives you access to this website with all this content that we're going to provide you. Yeah, a lot of branding, uh, different names I know started portals
0: kind of like that to do that. I know Star Trek had the same type of thing. They had an online service. But so you you kind of went a couple steps ahead too, and you also went on, got some podcasts going. You have one of the top KISS podcasts, Three Sides of the Coin as well,
1: where you discuss the band. Yeah, you know, I've been, I did my first podcast, the Music Biz Weekly in 2011, and I'm still doing it. Um, But around 2012, Tommy Summers and I have been friends for many years. And I was back in Minnesota where I was born and raised and he lives. And, you know, we were just having a drink. And he's like, Mike, if you ever want to do a podcast about Kiss, let me know. And at that point in time, it really didn't interest me. Um, You know, I run Kiss Online. I dealt with all the fan bullshit that goes on in the online world. And I, you know, I basically said, I don't know. I, I'm not feeling it right now. I said, but if I wanted to do it, we have to talk about the fans. We got to talk about the good part of the fans, but we've got to talk about the crap fans as well, the, the 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 bullshit that lives out there in fandom. And it's not a unique to Kiss. I mean, every, every major brand property has the good and the bad. But what I had seen is a lot of people were like, oh, just ignore the bad. Just ignore the bad. It goes away. Well, it doesn't go away. It won't go away just because you don't pay attention to it. Right. Um, it goes away kind of like a cockroach when you shine a light on it they scurry away and they run away call them out for what they are um and I said but you know if we do a podcast I want to be able to talk about fans and he said I'm on board for that I don't know a couple months went by and um I uh I got in touch and I said Tommy let's do this let's let's do a podcast let's just talk about what we want to say. This isn't going to be a factual show. This isn't going to be an objective show. This is going to be a show completely commentary, completely opinions. It's us. It's us speaking about what we like and don't like. And as long as we can be honest about that, I'm on board. And, you know, that was in 2012 when we started three sides of the coin and again it's it's still going strong um it's you know a very opinionated show it's the three of us four of us depending on who's on talking about what we like and don't like and and we are not implying that what we like is right we've always said this is just our view right and we got, we got no problem if somebody wants to like something differently but it's just what we what we like and I think that was refreshing to the fans like okay somebody's finally saying what I'm thinking as well but most people are afraid to call them out it's like no we're going to call it out we're going to say what we love and we're going to say what we hate you know what we don't love everything that KISS does we don't hate everything KISS does but I think as a fan you have to be able to say, I don't like this. And I do like this. And it doesn't make you any more or less of a fan by saying that. Right.
0: Everybody should pretty much be able to have their say in an adult type of conversation. That's yep. basically what it comes down to. You you, you have the rights to your opinion, but let's, let's talk about it in a reasonable type of fashion. And, and the podcasts that do that are, are very popular with
1: folks. They, they really, that really, you know, strikes a chord with them for sure. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. I mean, I, again, I think it connected with the fans and that, you know, we were, I mean, we, we hear from fans all the time, you are like, my. Uh, you're, you're one of my best friends, because I never had friends growing up that loved Kiss like I did. So I could never talk to people about what I loved, what I hated. What what makes right. me mad? I hear that from um, a lot of KISS fans. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, we we get we get that we get that all the time. They they're like, I I scream at the screen because I agree with you. I scream at the screen because I disagree with you. <laughs> because they don't have anybody else to scream at.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. So not only that, but you're also instrumental in developing and executing the VIP platinum ticket program. You, you were the first to get in on doing this uh, for bands to do in the ticket program. I think it was for the kiss 2003 tour and that achieved yeah. a hundred percent sell at you. So, I mean, this is something that all the other bands have kind of latched onto and do
1: now, but you were the first to come up with this. Yeah. I mean, again, it was back in 2003. Um, VIP meet programs didn't exist back then. I mean, online ticketing purchase fan clubs barely existed. Um, you know, some some bands were giving you early access to their online fan club to Ticketmaster, but nobody was doing the VIP programs that we all see everybody doing. And what basically brought that on was just before the KISS Aerosmith tour in 2003 was announced. Uh, KISS's management reached out to me because I'm running their website and said, do you want us to hold any tickets for this tour for the website? And, and, you know, I knew that holding tickets by a band meant these were great seats. The band has access to hold incredibly good seats. And in the past, they hold them for press for friends for family for industry stuff like that right the past they 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 didn't sell them um but i was like yeah hold them they're like well you know we need to know within about the next week what you're going to do with them because otherwise we've got to release them back to the promoter because again if you're not going to use those tickets that are being held they put them back up into the general public on sale because they're great seats and they will sell and i just started brainstorming i'm like you know as a fan of kiss what do fans want more than anything right to meet the band we want to meet the band and we want to get a photo with the band right and we want great seats because i mean i i remember during the reunion tour in in 96 fans were paying scalpers in excess of 750 bucks just for the ticket to right. get into the front. Now, you know, there. you can have a lot of discussion on what's right or wrong about this, but the bands never saw any penny of that 750 bucks. Right. They got the 50 bucks, the 75 bucks, whatever that ticket was. They never saw any of the upside on that. Plus, Let's be honest. You don't know if that scalper is scalping a legit ticket, a fake ticket. You know, fans. Right. I mean, I've heard stories of fans who've gotten screwed. Oh yeah, that's not a real ticket from Ticketmaster. That barcodes doesn't work. You can't get in. You're out your money. So I was like, well, okay. If we could guarantee them tickets in the first or second row which the band could do because it's their ticket hold. And we could arrange a meet and greet with the band to get a photo with the band. And because I worked for the band's merchandising company, I was like, well, we could create an exclusive t-shirt, right? You only get by buying this and it's going to cost us next to nothing. We're the merch company. Right. Right. And you know, Hey, we'll give them a free uh, tour book again we create the tour books it's the cost of a tour book is next to nothing for us right
0: that's something they don't do at a lot of shows anymore you don't get a tour book and they don't sell them anymore a lot of shows i've noticed you know yeah
1: yeah i mean it's
0: expensive
1: to do printing like that so but you know i was like okay if we can do all of this i think it would be worth x amount of money and when i first pitch the idea back to doc mcgee my thought was who's going to be a photo with kiss out of makeup i figured there's just no way kiss could do a photo in makeup i mean they start putting themselves into costume and makeup two hours before showtime how would we be able to do this um doc loved the idea of doing the meet and greets but he goes if i can make this happen with the band in makeup How much could we sell this for? I go, thousand dollars easily. Thousand dollars. I mean, when you as a fan sit here and go, well, fans would spend 750 bucks just for a great seat in the first second row. You're telling me they wouldn't sit there and go, gee, for an extra 250 bucks, I get to meet the band and get a photo with them. Right. Which let's let's be honest, didn't happen. And again, it was it didn't happen because they were getting into costume and makeup two hours before show. They would meet industry people and friends and family, but they never did real fan meet and greets because it just wasn't part of their backstage workflow. Right. And Doc said, "I'll make it happen." And he came back and said, "Yeah, we'll band band will do this in makeup." before the show um, with everything else. And I go, great, I think this will sell for $1,000. Now, that's just my gut. No band had ever done this before. So we didn't know, you know, will, will fans revolt at such a dra- dramatic upsell right. or will they love it? So, you know, we quickly put these up on the, the KISS website, merch store. And when the tickets went on sale for the Aerosmith tour, we were all just like, "What's going to happen? Are we going to sell them all, or are we going to, you know, take them down because nothing's sold?" And within minutes, we sold. There were there were twenty five, one thousand dollar meet and greet tickets per show, and that was a sixty date tour, and we sold them all out within minutes. Amazing, and we were like. We were like, okay, fans like this. Yep, fans we know, like we know this. we've got something. It, yep. it, it it's it 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 worked. Now, what we didn't anticipate were fans coming back and buying them over and over and over. I mean, my thought was, it's a thousand dollars, right? You did it once. You, you you've been there. You do that once. That's a once in a lifetime thing you right. do as a right. fan, but. No, we quickly saw fans were buying one, they'd get their photo with the band, they'd go home, blow that photo up into a poster, buy a second meet and greet, meet the band, and get the band to autograph the poster that they just had created from a previous meet and greet. Um, You know, we didn't anticipate repeat customers right for VIP programs but I think what you see now is and it's not so much that people want to meet the band every time although that's great fans have just become accustomed to the treatment you get through VIP programs you know you get you get early access you might get VIP parking you might get drinks and hors d'oeuvres backstage. Right, you sit in on the sound checks a lot of times. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a much better experience than just the normal walking up to the venue, waiting in line outside for an hour, you know, going to your seat, buying the drinks for $25. The VIP treatment, people like that treatment. So a lot of people would do it just for that. Yep, definitely. And you've done this for lots of other artists. You did
0: the VIP ticketing program and you've managed the online branding for folks like U2, Motley Crue, Rod Stewart, Madonna, Ozzy, Dream Theater, Alice Cooper, Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears. I mean, the list goes on and on. Everybody saw what you were doing here and realized well, yeah, you had I mean, something big. You got to
1: also keep in mind, it was the perfect timing again. 2003 was basically when um, record sales had died they were done right they were done napster had killed killed music sales for artists and to be honest that was a significant revenue stream for artists right that right. in a matter of a few years completely disappeared really yeah because the lifeblood now is merch or, branding and VIP know, or, You know, if they didn't disappear completely, they dramatically dropped. So artists were looking for other ways to make money. Touring was still happening. Merch sales was still happening. And all of a sudden, we come to artists with this proposal of, let's sell meet and greets. And you could make hundreds of thousands of dollars for basically no additional work you're already on tour. You're already at the venue. You're already doing meet and greets, probably with industry people and radio stations. Right. All we want is 25 more minutes of your time to sell meet and greets to your fans and you get that money that comes out of it. And yeah, I mean, you know, I'll let anybody out there do the math, but in Kiss's case, $25,000 25 $1,000 tickets per show it's $25,000 per show times 60 shows that's a lot of new revenue exactly
0: exactly so yeah you talked about this a little bit a moment ago so we know that everything's changed physical media is not the norm at this point so let's let's talk about streaming here a little bit and i've listened to your music biz weekly podcast on the topic and we know that pretty much at this point playlists or where the attention is focused now. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and your thoughts on maybe where that's headed or what people can look for?
1: Yeah, I mean, streaming is here. It's it's clearly here. It is the significant way music is consumed. consumed. Am I saying that there aren't people that still buy vinyl and CDs? Of course not. I mean, I've got thousand vinyl albums over there myself i still buy vinyl i don't listen to the vinyl i buy it just because it's cool it's collectible it means something to me i don't buy cds anymore i mean why buy a piece of physical media with digital files on it when i can just go get the digital files through a download if that's what i want but even then I rarely buy music. I stream all the time. Because let's be honest, the convenience of having the entire library of recorded music at your fingertips at any moment is pretty incredible for a music fan. You yes. get the urge to listen to something, you can go find it. If you are a physical media person and you don't own it, well now you got to go buy it. You got to wait for it to ship, you got to find a record store. Good luck finding record stores. Um, and then hope they have it in stock. Bring it home. Listen to it. Um, at least with CDs, they're a little more transportable. You can listen to it in the car. You can listen to it on the go. Try listening to vinyl anywhere but wherever your your record player is. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I've got a record player, but it's vinyl is about the experience of listening, it's not about the convenience of listening. Exactly. Um, so st- streaming is here, it's here to stay. And there is millions of dollars a day being made from streaming. Um, streaming, ser- you know, and, and some real basic facts for people, streaming services do not and never have and never will pay the artists directly they never do they pay whoever owns the music right. whoever has the rights to the music and in many 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 cases the rights holder is a record label right so and and this is no different than back in the 80s when you walked into tower records and you bought a kiss cd for 18 bucks tower records doesn't pay kiss Tower Records paid the record label. The record label is responsible for paying the artist after that money comes in based on many factors. But some of them include, first of all, what was the contract you signed with that label? How much money did that label advance you? Has that label spent millions of dollars in marketing you? All of that money the label gets to recoup, which is basically a word that just means they get to take all the money off the top from all sales to cover the money they spent giving you money to record the album, go out on the road and tour for that album, market that album, support that album. Um, They get to record cover all of the money they spent before the artist gets to see a single penny. Once that money's recouped, then the artist can start seeing money. So what a lot of fans don't understand is, you know, somebody might cry, oh my God, I got a million streams and I got a check. I didn't get any money or I got a check for 12 bucks. Spotify sucks, it's not Spotify. Spotify is pretty much following the same financial terms as like Apple iTunes was, where 30% of the sale is kept by this retailer. Right. 70% of that sale goes back to the rights holder. And again, let's just use the example when you bought that $18 CD at tower records, they probably bought that for 10 bucks from the record label. So they're keeping eight bucks of that off the top. The rest of it's going back and it might even, they may even keep less of it depending on what the wholesale cost is. Right. right. The rest of it goes back to the rights holder who sold it. Um, so streaming services never pay the artists right the the rights holders are are literally making millions of dollars a day exactly yeah. in streaming revenue yeah is see... that rev, is that revenue making it to the artist it's It's no different than it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I mean, I think that's why we've seen so many
0: catalogs within the last couple of years change hands and they're buying this catalog and that catalog artists just sell their whole catalogs now to whoever, you know what I mean? They get the payment for the catalog and then just
1: give me the money up front and I don't have to worry about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's financial security. It sets your family, your kids up. For the future. But, you know, it's, it's just a big misunderstanding that streaming screws the artist. Streaming pays the rights holder. The rights holder pays the artist, and the artist signed a contract with the rights holder. If you are not getting paid as an artist, the first thing you need to do is read the contract you signed, because I bet most of them never did. See what it says in there. And then ask your label, how much are we unrecouped? They may come back and go, well, you still owe us $250,000. You're never going to make money. Right. Because they're going to take the first $250,000 and put it in their own pockets.
0: exactly. Exactly. So we see so many new bands starting out. They're really not sure how to merchandise themselves. They don't maybe don't understand stuff about streaming and some of the stuff you explained. Thank you so much for going through all that for, for our listeners. But would you have maybe a couple any advice for new bands and artists starting out? What what should they maybe concentrate on and
1: focus on as they get into this? Well, I mean, first you got to focus on fans. You're not going to be able to sell a single t-shirt or stream a single song if you don't have a fan base and streaming services are not designed to find you fans none of these services are built to do the work for you you got to do the work you have to go out and find a fan base Mm -hmm. and get that fan base to join an email list to subscribe to youtube to follow you on spotify whatever it is that you have got out there You have to find fans and get them to follow you. Basically, that then creates an audience for you to talk to when you've got something to promote. Otherwise, you've got a brand new album, but you've got no fan base. Who are you talking to? You're talking to an echo chamber. There's nobody out there listening to you when you say you've got a new album out. Yeah, and so, the, so uh, that
0: leads me to the next thing. So you talked about this also on the Music Biz Weekly. I listened to it a little bit. The pros and cons of releasing music as an album, an EP, or track by track. So we see we see a little mix of that by different artists. Some people do the track by track, and then they do an EP. Some do a track, and then they drop their album. It's kind of hit and miss, and they're kind of all trying all different formulas here, it looks like. Yeah,
1: I mean, sadly, what what happens a lot out there is, and this is especially amongst newer bands, newer artists, um, they're looking for the magic bullet. What's the one thing I can do that's just going to boom, you know, not necessarily overnight, but, you know, as quick as possible, give me success. Right. And there is, there is, there is not one thing, you know, there, there's an old saying that, Um, overnight success took 10 years to happen. You just, you, the consumer, the fan, never saw the 10 years a band put into it before they had their overnight success. Um, There's no magic bullet. You are going to have to work, keep working, keep working, keep trying. Um, And sadly, Lose money, lose money, lose money because a band is a business. And that's something a lot of musicians don't like to acknowledge, but you're a business. You are a business no different than the restaurant down the street, cross the street on the corner. You are both businesses. And that means you are going to have to invest your own money. You're going to work incredibly long hours. Probably doing multiple things until you can afford to hire people to do tasks. Um, but you're going to lose money before you make money. To think that your first album should become profitable immediately is, is simply just foolish to think. I right. mean, can it happen? Of course, anything can happen. The chances of it happening are one in a million. I mean, here, here's a great example. And This even goes back to the 80s when the music industry was much stronger. I had an A&R rep once tell me that a band that I was pitching to the A&R rep, he goes, you know, and don't tell the band this, but this is the truth. All the money that's going to be spent to try and record demo tapes and go fly them to showcases or fly people out to showcases and all this marketing and promotion you would be better to take all of that money and go buy as many lottery tickets as you can because there's a greater chance you're going to make money off the lottery than you ever will as a professional musician yep and Definitely. you know that, that 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 holds true today i mean the what what you need to be is smart. You've got to you've got to look at where you're spending the money. You've got to have a strategy, but you've got to be realistic. You can't sit back and go, "Great, I just recorded the perfect album, and it's now going to sell itself." It's like nobody's going to sell this. Yeah. Is sell itself. I think
0: that's that's a lot of problems with a lot of artists I talk to. They they don't understand how to brand themselves. They don't understand to think about the marketing. They don't understand to think about. Their audience what they have what they like where they're going to be you know all these all these things kind of intertwine with each other that they need to think about when they're putting it together and and you've spoke you've been a speaker at, at uh, many many events and been a panelist talking about music marketing and, and different things as well as
1: at many events also oh yeah i mean you know i i I've, I've spoken everywhere i've been on many podcasts you know to some extent maybe what I say isn't what people want to hear but it is the truth it's the truth about the business I love the business and you can have a career here it's just it's not going to happen just because you're great you know right. I, 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 I I, tell people I'm like so you think you've just recorded your greatest album your greatest song Right. If nobody ever hears it, is it great? Right. No. Right. No. What's your marketing
0: plan? What's your strategy? Who's backing this? What, what other things how, are, how are going to yeah.
1: get people to hear this right. music? And, and then if you think the music is what's going to make you money, you don't understand the business. Exactly. The music is now, yes, it technically can be a revenue stream, but music has become a marketing tool. It is not the product being marketed anymore. What else can you make revenue from? T-shirts, hats. Can you go on tour? Can you sell? Granted, you may not be able to sell a $1,000 meet and greet, but can you sell a $25 meet and greet? Uh, You know, those items are selling physical goods and experiences that can't pirated and music is going to always be piratable it's always going to be free whether i like it or not doesn't matter it is the business we are in you can sit here and cry and scream all you want but at that point you're just you know grandpa sitting on the porch yelling at the kids to get off the front lawn because i remember the good old days it's like it's not coming back the yep. genie's not going back in the bottle. Music is what it is now. You've got to sell physical. You've got to sell experiences. You've got to always be looking for other revenue streams. And that music you just recorded is a way to market those other revenue streams.
0: Exactly, exactly. So if an artist wants to contact you or you want to assist them with marketing, or where should they reach out to At Your website?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The easiest way is just to go to michaelbrandvold.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-V-O-L-D, michaelbrandvold.com. Uh, I got a contact form on there. It's got links to all of my socials. I, I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. It has a breakdown of all the various services. I've worked with unknown, small, brand new bands, and I've worked with major international recognized artists. Um, you know, what I will say is you gotta be honest and come with some kind of a budget. You are not going to get people to work with you for free or just because you've got great music. You, I mean, it, this is, a, again, it's the music business. It's a business. You've got to be willing to invest money into your career to move it forward. Exactly, exactly. You folks should be listening to the Music
0: Biz Weekly podcast with Michael on that. A lot of great stuff on there all the time. Also, is Three Sides of the Coin podcast for all the big KISS fans out there. Great stuff all the time. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. All your information, it's been great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you so much. This was awesome. All right, we'll speak to you again soon.